Amen. As you're standing, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Matthew, the 16th chapter. And uh, we're going to read the New King James Version, and then I'm going to also read uh, the same passages out of the message uh, translation as well. Everybody doing good? Amen. Good morning, Grace Point, where grace is the point. Everybody left us and went on fall break this weekend. Sorry for us to have to hang around, huh? Amen. Everybody needs a break. They just don't want to take it at one time. Glory to God. Amen. Um, today we're just calling this uh, Divine Questions. Divine Questions. Matthew 16, and beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Jesus would always open up the dialogue so many times with questions. So they said, some said, John the Baptist, some Elijah, others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And the literal translation of that is whatever is, uh, has been bound in heaven will be bound on the earth. Whatever has been loosed into heaven, that's the literal Greek of that. Let's read it in the Message Bible. I just think it's... A neat, uh, another view of this same passage. It simply says, when Jesus arrived in the villages of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what are people saying about who the Son of Man is? And they replied, some think he is John the baptizer, some Elijah, some Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. He pressed them. Notice that he pressed them. And how about you? Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus came back and said, God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. My father in heaven, God himself, let you in on this secret of who I really am. Man, I thought that was good. And now I'm going to tell you who you are, who you really are. You are Peter. You're a rock. This is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church that is so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. That's a powerful church, amen? And so Jesus often would ask questions. Um, he asked questions that open us up to make us think, to give us another paradigm, another lens by which to view him. When he asked them this question, he's the one that did it. He's not fishing for a compliment. He's not, Jesus is not asking who do people say I am because he doesn't know his own identity. You got that right? But he's asking this question like he does to all of us to open us up to a conversation to begin with him in regard to our lives. I don't think he really cares so much about the broad question, who do people say that I, the son of man, am? 
they answered kind of weird. I told you the first person they said they thought he was like was John the baptizer, John the Baptist. That was weird because John had just been murdered a few months prior to this. So I guess they're saying he came back from the dead and here's, here he is. But what I want you to see before you sit down is you've got four distorted views of Jesus. These four views of Jesus are distorted. A lot of people's today view of Jesus is a distorted view. It's a religious view. It's not a relational view that God wants. Because then Jesus, what he's really after, he, he brings to bear with the second question, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Who, who am I to you right now? Now, let, let me say this. Is, I, this is an important question for you. Who is Jesus? Who, who is Jesus to you right now at the point you are in your life today? See, if a relationship's not specific, it's not very much of a relationship. Relationships will be specific. They won't just be broad brushstroke. There'll be a specific uh, dynamic to that relationship for it to endure, for it to grow, for it to be fruitful. So Jesus wants to know to those disciples, who do you say that I am? Who am I to you right now? And that's that really the question that, that he's asking them. And so, Father, we thank you today for divine questions that open us up to possibilities and for you directing our lives and for the closing of one chapter in our life and for the opening of a new chapter. And I just praise you for asking questions that cause us to, to pause and to, to contemplate where we are with you in our lives. Thank you. Thank you for asking those questions today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, turn around, shake somebody's hand one more time, smile big, give them a big smile. Welcome to Grace Point Church. You know, there's, um, these questions are so, so important, um, all through the Bible, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on what we even have just read, but just suffice it to say, all through the scriptures, you will see Jesus doing this. He would ask the scribes questions, the Pharisees questions. He, he would ask his disciples uh, many questions. And uh, you remember in uh, Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came as a, as a sound of a mighty rushing wind. Remember that? Filled all the house where they were assembled. All kind of manifestations and things are going on. We have cloven tongues of fire appearing upon each of them. Obviously, they were conducting themselves physically as if they were drunk. Some of them were because they got accused of being drunk. Is that right? You don't ever accuse somebody of being drunk if they're not acting like they're drunk. So there were some physical manifestations going on that was weird. You have all these people speaking in the language that they were not taught. All these different tongues, all these different languages. And, and the Bible says that they, they was, the people asked a question. They said, uh, this is in Acts 2.12, but they said, what, whatever could this mean? What does this mean? Now, what, it says that they were perplexed, they were amazed, but they said, what does this mean? I want you to, I want you to apply this in your life. You might find yourself here today uh, more perplexed than amazed at your situation that you're in now. But I want to say this to you. Listen to me. You can always ask God, and you always have permission to ask God, what does this mean? 
this is going on right now in my life, my circumstances, my situation, God, Father, what does this mean? I'm perplexed by this. I don't understand this. I don't, I don't get all the manifestations that's going on. This is weird to me. This is confusing to me. What does this mean? God will answer those kind of questions. When they said, what does this mean? Peter, through God's Spirit, told him that this is that that was prophesied by the prophet Joel. Don't let it confuse you. This is, this is God. God's in this. It's going to be all right. Are you with me, church? So you always have permission to ask God, what does this mean? But I want to tell you one question that God will never answer on earth is the why question. Why? Why? All through the Bible, God don't answer why questions because that's victim mentality questions. You remember in Judges, I think it's the sixth chapter, around verse 13, that Gideon, remember, he, God told him that he was a mighty man of valor, yet he was hiding in a wine press. Remember that? And the Lord told him that, he said, you're a mighty man of valor. He said, the Lord is with you. You mighty man of valor. Remember that? And what did Gideon say? He says, if you're with us, then why has all this happened to me? God never answered him. God will never answer your why questions. Now, am I the only one in here as a Christian that has asked God why more times than I'd like to admit? Will somebody raise your hand and fellowship with me right here on that one? Yeah, I got some friends in here. Man, I've asked God why a lot of times. Why me? Why now? Why this? Why that? You know, this has happened at the worst possible. Why did you? He never replies to that. Why don't he reply? Why don't he answer? When, when, when Gideon asked him, why has all this happened uh, to us? All God said, if you read that, God, God says something to him. He doesn't answer that question because he don't answer why. He said something to him. He said, go in the might of yours. Go in the strength you have, one translation says. In other words, he says, Gideon, you've got strength in you that you don't even know you have. Walk in that strength. Walk in that strength. You're wasting time sitting here going, why, why, why? Go in the strength. Take a step of faith. Step forward. Move away from the position you're in. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Why? God's not going to answer. Why won't he answer it? Because that's a victim question, and God's not going to reinforce your victim mentality because God don't see you as a victim, and God don't want you seeing yourself as a victim because you're not victims, you're victors. Amen? Come on, give God praise for that because that's the truth. And so if God answered why questions, he'd be reinforcing your identity as a victim so he don't respond to those. You can't ask him, what does this mean? You can say, I'm perplexed, I, I don't understand, but leave the why part out of it because it's not going to relate to you as a victim. Uh, I want to tell you something, and, and today's a little bit different. I mean, this every Sunday's different to me. Uh, 
we all got things going on, man, don't we? It's just life. And uh, I felt like God said the strangest thing to me this week. I have never in all the time that I've known him and that we've chatted, I've never had him to tell me anything like this. At first I thought it might have been coming from the wrong side of the kingdom. You know what God told me? He told me, he said, I want you to be more like the prodigal son. Y'all remember that guy, right? I said, what, God? You know what that dude did now, right? You want me to be more like that? God says, yeah, I want you to be more like the prodigal son. I want my people to be more like the prodigal son. So I said, wait a minute now, I got the, I, I, so I got my phone and, and uh, so I, I remember this in Luke 15. I said, wait a minute now, I got to see, he wants me to be like him. I know he don't want me out chasing women. Too old and ugly for that. And Sister Jill wouldn't be for that anyway. So, so I said, uh, let, let me see here. Uh, what is it about the prodigal son? Because I've never heard any preacher or anybody tell people that God wants them to be like the prodigal son. And so I just started reading in, in Luke 15 and verse 11. It said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them, now let me just read like this. You know that if you see an italicized word, right? I'm not insulting you, I'm just reminding you. In the New King James or King James, it means what? It's not in the original language, right? And it's been added by the translators, you know, as they put it into English for us to, to read. Is that okay? You ain't going to get mad at me, are you? <laughs> That's just the truth, okay? So I'm just going to leave out on mine. I don't, know, I don't think they have the italicized on these screen views of it. But this is what it says because it says a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said, and it's got to his father. But in the original, his has been added by the translators. You know, just to help us understand it, it's his fault. But this is what it literally says. And the younger of them said to father. The younger of them said to father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall, that falls. And the translators added it to me. Uh, give me the portion of goods that fall. That falls. And he said, so he divided to them. Everybody say them. He's going to give the other boy something he ain't even there asking. Because when you get yours, you'll help other people receive what they didn't even know that was coming to them. So he divided to them his livelihood, or the word his is again italicized. He divided to them livelihood, life, livelihood. And then, and not many days after, so we got a time period here. We don't know how long not many days is. Could have been a month. I mean, we, we don't really know. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions. They were his possessions, though. But he wasted them with prodigal living. Right? Well, how does God want us to be like him? I felt like God told said this to me. This might be just for me, so just, you know. Y'all ministered to me for a little bit now. But I know I didn't. God said, I want you to be more like that guy. 
And God said, I don't want to just meet your needs. I'm tired of just meeting your needs. I want to give you your inheritance. About right then you felt God, that wasn't air conditioning, it just made those goosebumps you just felt. It's God's presence. God is saying to you, I'm saying that. God says, I want my people to ask me for their inheritance. I want them to ask me that portion that falls to them. I want them to do more than just trying to get enough money to get their light bill paid and get through another week. I want them to just stop asking me to meet their needs, and I want them to ask me for their portion. I want to give them their inheritance. And I don't want them to have to die to get it. I died to give it. And they can do like that prodigal. They can get their inheritance while they yet live. They can get my inheritance because you don't get the inheritance until the person dies. But I've already died, he said, on the cross to give you your inheritance. God is saying, I want to give you your inheritance. But you need to ask me for that. You need to desire that. And you need to know that you're more than just getting your needs met. God said to me, I don't want to do more, Dale, than just give you, meet your needs. Because that's kind of where I've been focused on lately. Just my needs. I found out too that when God's not giving you money and you're praying for money, then God is going to absolutely give you the means by which to make the money. A lot of people are struggling financially, economy, whatever, you can blame, whatever. And you're praying for money, and if money's not coming, it's not because God's, you know, not listening. It's because God wants to do more. He wants to give you the means by which to make the money. He wants you to have your inheritance instead of just your needs met. See, listen to me. If somebody came up to you and, and, and they, you know, they came up to you and they said, uh, I want you to give me $100. I want to go buy drugs with it. Right now, I've got to have some drugs. And would you give me $100? How many of you would reach into your wallet if you had a $100 bill and just hand it to them? Okay, Mike would. Anybody else? One person would. Two people would. See, y'all like that guy. <laughs> I don't know if y'all just mess with me or what. See, you're trying to figure out where I'm going with it. <laughs> You're trying to go, I wonder what answer does he want us, you know. I'm not trying to trick you, man. Church ain't about tricking you. I'm just saying it proven majority of people in here would not give that person $100 to go buy drugs. I'll let you decide whether that's right or wrong. But they just wouldn't do it. Now, if they said, I need $100, I'm going to go buy my family groceries, you'd be, if you had that, you'd be whipping that out, right? But if they say, I'm going to go buy drugs with this, I'm going to go, you know, snort cocaine with this, I'm going to go shoot heroin up with this, I just need $100, then most of you are not going to do that. Now, let's think about the prodigal. He's coming to his father, and he said, I need money. But he didn't say to his father, I need money because I'm going to leave your butt, I'm going to go to a far land, I'm going to burn it on wine, women, and song. Come on, Dad, fund me. But when he said, Father... Give me my inheritance. Without any hesitation, the father released his inheritance to that son. 
And the son had that inheritance wealth for some days. Some people can't handle blessing. Some people can't handle blessing. I don't know what transpired in the time that he got home, sat in his bedroom, maybe counted the money, thought about all what he could do with it, use it for this and that. But, but over a course of days, he made a decision. And, not, and it says, not many days later, then he decided to take his possessions because they're his. It's his inheritance. And go to a far country and live in a prodigal or a riotous, wasteful, that's what that means, way. And it's no surprise that he came to lack. Riotous living, wasteful, prodigal living will always lead to want. It doesn't matter how much you have. If you live that way, you'll end up where you don't have enough. And not because God's being punitive or punishing you or getting you back. No, it's just because you made poor decisions. And you're, you're suffering consequences of a bad choice you made. And God's not angry with you. He loves you. He's not mad with you. And he's not the one behind any of your pain, sorrow, or suffering. You made the decision to do it. Now, you would think if you're out there like he was, you know, the first thing that happens to you, you go from being in a certain position of relationship and ownership. Now it says he found himself that he had to join himself to a person in that far country. In other words, he had to get a job. And, and you're at the mercy of a lot of people when you get in that position because you just have to take sometimes what you can get, whether you like it or not. And, they, and so he took this job, and then when you work for somebody, you've got to do what they tell you unless it's like rob a bank for me or something. You, I mean, pretty much else, you've got to do what they tell you if you're going to stay employed, right? Y'all just let me know if I start saying anything that helps anybody today. So they, they, they send him out to feed the hogs. Now, keep in mind, he's a Jewish boy. You're not even supposed to get near a hog, you know. I was saying something last night when my grandbaby about a hog, and they said, what's a hog? I said, a pig. Oh, they said, oh, okay, pig. I didn't know what a hog was. Yeah, because I told one of my grandbaby, I said, my, my granddaddy had hogs. He said, what's a hog? <laughs> I said, a pig. Oh, okay. Well, he's out to feed the pigs. Lowest position that this Jewish boy could be. And it said that, you know, he was in such a condition he desired to just share the food they were eating. And then it says this, and no man gave him anything. Now, sometimes when you don't have anything, you think that's when people give to you. But I've found out in my life that that's really the opposite. When you don't have anything, people don't want to give you nothing. I know it doesn't make sense. But it's in the Bible, them that have shall more be given, Jesus said. And them that have not, even that that they think they have, shall be taken away. It's a, it's, a, it's a weird principle. In other words, you have a marriage conference. Guess who comes to marriage conferences when we have them? People that's got great marriages. Guess who don't come to marriage conferences? People whose marriages are in trouble and they're dodging salt shakers from one another in the kitchen. They don't ever go to marriage conferences. I wonder why their marriage is like that. You know who buys books and reads articles and signs up for blogs and podcasts about, you know, strengthening your marriage? People that have a great marriage. You know who people that don't ever have spent one dime on a marriage book? People that have marriages that are not so great. To him that has, more should be given. 
to them that have not, even that that they have shall be taken. See, Jesus talks about God with, you know, five talents, you know, something like three talents, one talent. Remember, them, remember, that, remember that parable? And so they, Lord, just give some stuff, man, and what you going to do with it? He wants you to multiply it. So he comes back, and now the guy with five, he's got ten, and with three or whatever, or two, and he doubled it, and then the guy with one, what did he do? He buried it in the backyard because he was so afraid, so fearful. The Lord really rebuked that guy, and he called him a wicked and evil, lazy servant. He said, you should at least put it in the bank and got like 0.4% interest or whatever they're paying now. You should have at least done that. But you, you're wasting it. So he took that one from that one guy and he gave it to the guy that had 10. I said, who'd you give it to? See, y'all want God to be Robin Hood, but Jesus ain't Robin Hood. His name ain't Robin. He's not going to rob people. You understand? Jesus, those things are released to them to have. So in my life, in my experience, I've seen and I've been around people that had, I knew, millions. And, and many times I've walked up and given them $100 or $1,000, and they already were millionaires. But I put my seed into that field. You go, well, that's a, no matter what you think. But people that don't have. See, we have to think differently. And the reason God asks these questions to us is to open up our hearts to possibilities. So God said to me, I want you to be more like the prodigal. She's heard every sermon my wife's ever, I preach. I ain't never said that before in my life. Ever. That had to be God. That had to be God. When it's weird, it's got, no. It's got, most of the time it's God. It's like, what? You want me to be more like the prodigal son? Yes, he said, in that way. I want you to ask me for more than just for me to meet your needs. I want to give you your inheritance, son. I've already died to give it to you. I just want God to give me some money. God said, no, I'm giving you the means to obtain that inheritance, to receive what I've got for you. Can somebody say amen? And I believe that word for a lot of people besides just me. Amen? You know, you, you, you know sometimes you have people in your life, and sometimes we kind of jokingly, uh, sometimes call them, we used to, I don't know, some people still do call them grace growers. In other words, there's a person in my life that gets on my last nerve. I mean, there's a person like you just want to just, like, God, why don't you kill this person? They're so irritating or whatever, you know. And uh, I, I know you don't ever have thoughts like that, but just I've met a couple people like that. Um, listen to me. And so there's people that, that I look at and I go, What's wrong with them? I mean, there's something wrong with them. What's wrong with her? What's wrong with them? Anybody ever have those thoughts about certain people? I'm not talking about, I know y'all love each other. I'm talking about, you know, out there in the world, you know. <laughs> What's wrong with them? Let me tell you a question that I heard God say to me. Sometimes I will t ask God, what's wrong with them? got screws loose you know they few fries short of the happy meal I mean come on what's wrong with them what's wrong with these people and this is what I listen to me God said to me what if there's nothing wrong with them 
I bind you, Satan, trying to interfere with my conversation with Papa. God's like, what if nothing is wrong with them? Well, I'm just telling I know there's something wrong with them. That's why I'm talking to you about them. Here comes the questions from God. Uh, did you think that Jesus did a good job on the cross? Oh, yeah, he did a great job. Did he accomplish what I sent him to do? Sure he did. Do you believe he was the lamb that took away the sin of the world? Of course I do, Father. Then you believe that all sin was nailed to the cross, that Jesus bore it all? Sure, Father. Then that means everything wrong with that guy I put on the cross. I took it all away. I took it all away. Who is this that's bringing it back? If I took away the sin of the world, who is it that is bringing the sin back? What if there's nothing wrong with that guy? Because at the cross, I took all and everything that was wrong with him, I took it away. I nailed it to the cross. I put it on my son and in my son. Him who knew no sin became sin. What if there's nothing wrong with him? Different perspective. What if there's nothing wrong with him? What if that person that you're so irritated about, that God's saying there's nothing wrong with her. You're wanting me to fix her and there's nothing wrong with her. I know, I can see the brains and the wheels turning, man. You're trying to figure this out. God said, I took it all away. On the cross. What if there's nothing wrong? But what if there's something that they don't know? They don't know that I'm not angry with them. They don't know that they're really truly loved by me. They don't know that I was in Christ reconciling the sin of the world. Never again imputing or, 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 or writing down their trespasses against me. They don't know that. They don't know that they are totally already forgiven. They just haven't received the benefits of my forgiveness. They don't know that I took away everything that's wrong with them. There's a devil that's reminding them that this is their old, this is their life. He is the one bringing back what I took away. It's illegal. It's wrong. What if there's nothing wrong with them? What if they're just stuff that they don't know? And by you fellowshipping with this person and by you stopping avoiding them but doing what's uncomfortable and, and, and forcing uh, against your comfort to, to be a friend to them, to be faithful to them, even when they're unfaithful to you, then you will help them find out what they don't know because that is released through fellowship. And most of us in here try to avoid people we dislike you know how it is in church. Well, I love you, but I don't like you. You know, that's kind of like happens in marriage a lot. I love you, but I don't like you right now. Get out of my face. <laughs> but God always loves you. And let me tell you something. He always likes you. You don't have to do anything to make him like you or love you. He decided that before the foundation of the world. Can somebody say Amen. Here's another little question. 
Everybody in here has got some kind of circumstances, right? But what, listen, what if your circumstances are not the problem? See, if you ever just get quiet and get along with God, he'll start asking questions. They're divine questions because they're his. But he'll start asking questions not because he doesn't know the answer. It's because he wants me to think differently than I'm thinking. And so God says to me, all you're doing is talking to me about your circumstances, your circumstances, your circumstances. What if your circumstances are not the problem? What? Are you not listening? Did I, do you not see my circumstances? I mean, anybody would know these circumstances are not good. Come on, God. He said, what if your circumstances are not the problem? What if it's your perception of your circumstances that's the problem? It's not your circumstances that's the problem. It's how you perceive your circumstances. That's the real problem. You see yourself as a victim. You see yourself as... A victim. And then here comes another one. You know, the Lord, sometimes I, you know, my wife or sometimes people that, you know, sometimes I've talked to people and they will preach my sermons back to me or they will remind me of what I said. Gets on my nerves. Well, you know you said one time, you preached. Now, a lot of times people quote me, they misquote me. But now my wife, she normally gets it, you know, she's right. I'm like, don't preach my sermons back to me. I know what I said. Just because I said it don't mean I believe it. <laughs> no, that's not true. Sometimes we say it because we do believe it, but then here come circumstances that seem to squeeze the faith out of our belief in that. And you hear Christians saying, I don't know what I believe anymore. You ever heard that one? Out of your own mouth? I don't know what I believe in him. I don't know if I even believe that any longer. I don't know what I believe. Well, all of those are not good statements, not good questions. But when God asks questions, they're good questions. This is what he says to me after, what, what, what if your circumstances are not the problem, Dale? What if it's your perception of your circumstances that's causing you problems now? Here comes the follow-up question. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Well, yes, I'm in Christ. Uh, are all of you in Christ or just part of you in Christ? All of you. The, are all of you, are you in Christ? Yeah, you're, then, then listen. Then are your circumstances a part of you? Then all of your circumstances, if you're in Christ, they also have to be in Christ. Here, here comes peace now. Revelation's coming to you. Listen, if, if you can't be separated from the love of God, then your circumstances can't be kept from the power of God. Because your circumstances and everything's going on, that's part of your life. And God put you in Christ, and that means all that stuff is in Christ. And it can't be in there without the power of God being able to move on those situations. I'm gone, this is good. God asked lots of questions. He remember this guy, Paul? Saul, some better know him at this point in Acts 9, verse 4. Remember that encounter that he had with God? How did Jesus begin that encounter? 
he says to him a question. Saul, yeah, you, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus asked him a question. Why are you persecuting me? To open him up, to make him think. He replies, who are you, Lord? <laughs> By the time he got to who are you, then the revelation, that's the Lord, I think, came. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus. You notice how he answered that question? Because he's not asking him a why. Why did you knock me off my horse? Why did this? It never says he knocked me off my horse. It just says, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And he's like to, to, to Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, some of us don't understand that, but they used to use these sticks to poke the, the, the donkeys, the horses, you know, pulling wagons, and, and they would poke them with that stick, and that horse would kick like he was really doing something. But he still got to pull that wagon. And he, God's saying it's hard for you, you. You're just spinning your wheels here. So he trembled and astonished and astonished, said, Lord, here's a good question he asked. What do you want me to do? It's okay for you to ask God that. What do, what do you want me to do, God? Now, don't ask God this, Lord, I, Lord what, uh, I want you to use me. I know that's real popular in the church, but it's not in the Bible. God doesn't use anybody. He's not a user. No, he's not going to use you. Do you want somebody using you in the world? Well, that person just used me. Used you for what? Whatever they used you for. You think God's like that? You think God's just using me to preach? Well, I want to use you. And when I get through using you, I'll kick you to the curb and get another one. No, God's not a user. You say, well, you're, you know, that's semantics. No, no, no. God is not a user. God will allow you to co-labor with him in his kingdom. But he's not going to use you. I told you last week, he didn't save you to serve. He saved you because he loves you. So he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? The Lord said to him, arise, go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. See, he answers those questions. And you know, I've told you that he got very specific with him. He said, him go, he said go to a street called Straight. He gave him the address. And he said, you'll find a man there named what? Ananias. And I told you that, he said, you go see him. He's three, listen, three days he's blind. He has to be led. He can't see. Listen. So they lead him to this street called what? You don't think there's prophetic messaging and all this? Leads him to a street called what? And he sees a man named what? Ananias. And when he walks in, Ananias lays his hands on him, and three days of blindness ends for Saul. And what does Ananias mean? In the Hebrew language, it means grace. So what did it take for this religious man who thought he was doing God a service by killing Christians for his eyes to literally be opened from his religious blindness. Grace opened his eyes. It takes grace to get the blindness off of people's religious eyes. First person that Saul saw after being blind three days was grace. You think that's coincidence? No way. So many times 
God would ask questions. One time in Jeremiah 32, 27, he asked him, he says, is there anything too hard for me, son? Anything too hard for me? If you look at that word hard in the Hebrew, it means marvelous. And one Hebraic translation literally says this, is there any situation where I cannot be marvelous? God said to Jeremiah, is there any situation that you can find yourself in where I'm not able to be marvelous? You might be Marvel Comics, but this ain't no comic. God's marvelous. God's wonderful. God can be marvelous in any circumstance that you allow him to come in, in your life. How many of you find it easy to default, you know what I mean by that, to worry and anxiety when problems come. Anybody besides me, let me just ask you that way, if i got any fellowshippers in here. Why don't we do that? I mean, I should know better by now. But it seems like that's my default. Worry, fear, anxiety. I hear Christians, and I'm not, I'm not marginalizing, I'm not minimalizing it at all. Anxiety, what do they call it? Anxiety attacks. They're very real. I don't know if you've ever had one. They're not fun. Just weird stuff goes on with your body, and it's just, it's, it's horrible. I've rode that route a few times. Don't care to do it. But why? Why, why is that my... Default. Here's a question that God says in those times. When will you learn peace? When will you learn peace? Now, we have peace because Christ is the Prince of Peace and He's in us, right? But that don't mean we draw from that. That doesn't mean we draw from that. So your peace is not in your circumstances. Your peace is in you. Why? Because Christ is in you. One final question I want to say. I felt like God just said to ask them, do you know why I put you in Christ? You know, the Bible actually says both. It says that Christ is in you, which is the hope of glory. But if any man be in Christ, and over and over, there's many more references for us to being in Christ. Paul taught extensively about in Christ. You are in Christ. But God says, don't you know that you are in Christ? You're in Christ. So why do you think I put you in Christ? Why do you think I did it that way? Here's his answer to me. Why did I put you in Christ? I don't know, Papa. It just says it in the Bible. I put you in Christ so that I could treat you like I treat Jesus. I put you in Christ so I could treat you like Christ. And you're learning in Christ to be Christ-like. But what would that look like for you if you really believe that I'm treating you like I treat Christ? Because you have now everything available that he has. Because I put you in him so I could treat you like him. How dare you claim not to be righteous, truly righteous in your spirit when I put you in Christ? Would I put something unrighteous in my son? 
Don't you know that Paul said, no, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is holy, which you are? You're holy not because you always act holy. You're holy because I made you holy when you got born again. You're righteous. Stop trying to get what I already gave. And believe me. When are you going to believe my word? Do you know why I put you in Christ? So I could treat you like Christ. So I could relate to you as I relate to my son. Unhindered, unfettered, unobstructed. I just feel this little... This, this prophetic, uh, I just feel this today. I know it's a little different. I like different. This is, it, I think this is for more than just a few couple of people. God's saying to you to stop believing in that false ceiling that's over your heads. And I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that today those false ceilings would be removed from the minds of the people. Of course, they are false ceilings. They're not your, you've not put that there. I pray and I call for those false ceilings that's built on false ideas and false perceptions to be removed off of your thinking and that your mind be renewed to think like God thinks. Stop saying I'm going to think outside the box. God says you're not in a box. There is no box in my kingdom. Stop trying to think outside the box because that means you're in the box and you're just like everybody else and you've limited your own self by your own belief system. God says you're not in a box. You've never been in a box. I've never put you in a box. I've put you in my kingdom. i put you in my son. You're unfettered, unhindered, unobstructed. Don't use those terminologies. Don't think that you're in a box, that I'm boxed in, that I want to I break out of the box or think outside of the box. You're not in a box. But if you believe you are, you'll act like you are. You'll live like you are. And you will live limited. And God says in the kingdom there's nothing but unlimited life. Unfettered life. Life to the full measure. And I know we say our circumstances sure don't manifest that. Well, manifest to your circumstances what's on the inside of you. When Jesus was awakened in the middle of a horrendous storm, and he's in the boat, and they're fearing for their life, Jesus walked to the bow of the boat, and he said just few little words. He said, peace, be still. And his circumstances outwardly changed what Jesus did was he didn't pray to his father to do something he simply released what he believed was on the inside of him and what did he believe was on the inside of him he believed he had peace on the inside of him and he demonstrated that he had peace because while they're filling out their last will and testament on that boat Jesus was asleep Remember, they had to awaken him, and he wasn't pretending to be asleep. He was literally asleep because he slept through what was killing them. And a lot of Christians get mad if you sleep through what they think you should be pacing the floor over. 
they want you to be just as anxious and fearful and worrisome as they are. And they perceive because you're not biting your fingernails off and you're screaming, I don't know what we're going to do and having panic attacks, they think you don't care about them. You care about them, but you know God's got that. You, you're, you're resting in, his, in him. And that looks so strange to the average Christian because we pace and we, we struggle and we fear and we worry and, 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 and it's just a lack of, of true confidence in the goodness of our Father. And we all struggle with it at times, including the one talking today. And I'm being transparent with you, we struggle with it. And I get so aggravated at myself. Why the, this far down the road I should be Father? Come on, Dale, get a grip, man. Why are you so fearful? God said, I put you in Christ, son, so I could treat you like Jesus. It's not in your circumstances. It's how you see your circumstances. Be more like the prodigal. Ask me for your inheritance. Stop praying for your needs to be met. I want, I'm, I want to do more than that. I'll do that. Yeah. That's not fun, though. <laughs> I want to do the fun stuff with you. Well, God just sent like the Brinks truck to turn over my yard and then just say, oh, you can keep that. That'd be cool. I always thought that'd be neat, you know. Just to come around the curve, Brinks truck rolls over, money just flies all in my front yard, you know. They go, listen, man, it's going to be too much trouble to clean all that. You can just keep that, man. You know, holler back piece out, you know. <laughs> yes, you know, God came through. But if he's not doing that, then he's going to give you the means. However it comes, he's still the one releasing the inheritance to you. He's still releasing it to you. It may come through this and that and this opportunity and that or this idea, this, this entrepreneur thing, this thought. This it, It's going to come through a lot of sources. Don't limit God to one flow, one stream. Don't think like that. Let your perception be how, and just ask God, it's okay. God, how do you see this? How do you see this? And what you're going to find, and this is just kind of how it is, and today I guess is another one of those Sundays where I'm just kind of talking to you out of where I'm, I've been living. It scared me when I first got tell, heard of me, he tell me this week that I don't want to just, I don't want to meet your needs anymore. <laughs> Where is this going? What did I do? Come on. That's how I heard it. I softened it up for you and put a jest in there. I don't just want to meet your needs because I love you and don't want you to be scared. But Papa told me I don't want to meet your needs anymore. And he likes to pause for effect. I don't want to just, I don't want to meet your needs anymore. I want to give you your inheritance. I want you to be like the prodigal son. I want you to ask. You have not because you ask not. Ask me for your inheritance. And when you get your inheritance, your brother gets his. Your children gets theirs. That guy didn't ask. And some of you look at that older brother like he didn't get nothing. He's staying home, work. No, he, he, he got the same. He got, in fact, he got greater because he was the older. He got more money and more resources 
and distributed to him as well. That younger one just, I guess, couldn't handle the thought of what he could do with all that money. And he made a wrong decision. But when he come back home, Papa wasn't sitting on the porch rocking with his arms folded. I knew your butt dragged back up here at this house. I knew you'd come back when you didn't have nothing. Look like a hog, you smell like a hog. Now, did you learn something? Hope you learned something. See, the reason some of you, that's how you've been talked to, even by your natural dad. God never does that. In fact, the father saw him afar off, and he ran towards him, and he's still smelling like a dress, like a hog, speak. And he fell on his neck and kissed him. He kissed him, put his arms around him. And here comes the son, going to do the old repent thing. Oh, he done had it rehearsed. Lord, I'm, you know, Papa, I ain't worthy to even be a son. Just make me a servant, and I'll work for you in the barn, and I'll sleep out in the bunkhouse with the rest of them, you know, and, and I'm not even worthy. He wouldn't let him say none of that. Because why? That's not grace. If you pay for it, it ain't grace. And God ain't going to let you pay for what's free. So he immediately stopped him in his tracks. No, don't say nothing. Bring me the, 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 the ring. Father was prepared already. So he had the ring, authority, finances. Uh, it was like giving him an American Express card or something. You know, here, charge what you need. Really, that's, that's it. They could just take that ring and stick it down on at the stores, marketplace, and, and they knew it was taken care of. Shoes, because slaves didn't wear shoes. And he said, you're looking like a slave, but you're not a slave. You're not a victim. Get some sandals on my boy's feet here. And then it said he gave him the best robe. And I know you think he, somebody run to the house and, no, the father took off his robe. Because he was wearing the best robe. And he, the father took his robe off. And he wrapped it around the son because that was the best robe. And he put that on him. And the father's robe became his robe. The father's righteousness became your righteousness. The father's wholeness became your wholeness. That, that's it. It's a divine exchange. And then he said, let's go to the house. We've been to par day tonight. We're going to eat good. We're going to drink good. We're going to dance. We're going to party. And his older brother heard the party, run his lips out and said, I ain't going in. That's what he said, y'all. Read your Bible. So it said that because the elder brother refused to go in, I love this, it said the father came out to him. He came out. When you refuse to go in, the father will come out. And he went up to him and said, son, won't you come in? Man, it's happening in there. Come on, come on, enjoy the party. Because my son that was dead is now alive. He said, Well, I stay here and work for you all my life, man. I ain't getting you ain't never killed me no fatty care. He said, You have he said, everything I have is yours. Hello. I done divided all my inheritance. Y'all got it all. You can have you can kill you can kill a fatty calf every day if you want to. It's because you just ain't wanted one. All that I have is yours. That's the problem. You see yourself working for me. You're not working for me. You're my son with me. All that I have is yours. Just because you don't want to have it and ask for it, that's... Come on in, man. Why can't you be happy when other... What we want, what we want God to do, and I've been guilty, I want God to get some people. That'll show them. Get them. 
They done me so bad, so wrong, cheated me, lied, robbed. I mean, ain't no way they can be blessed. They are blessed. Because God said, everything that's wrong with them, I nailed to the cross. And so me and God, we have these dialogues, these talks. These, and it just about always with him starts with questions. Starts with questions. I hope you got something out of this today. Thank you for listening to me. Would you stand up? God bless you. Elders, would y'all come and join me up here? I know we got a lot of people traveling today. Praise team, minister, you know, just in case somebody wants prayer, we're here for you. It's our privilege to pray with you, for you, just to shake your hand, hug your neck. We always want to make ourselves available to you. It's more than about just spitting out a sermon and going home. We care for God's people. We want you to be ministered to if you want prayer. Please talk to God today. Answer those questions. It ain't just God asking me questions, divine questions. He's asking you those questions today. And just when you're quiet and you're before the Lord, you, just, just don't ask him why and drop the victim mentality with him, okay? And you wonder why a lot of, he's just not going to relate to you now, so I've told you. So just don't be like Gideon. Why all this happened? God's like, I ain't going there. Because if I start dialoguing with you on why, then you're going you're gonna to own that victim mentality. And, and I, can't, I can't reinforce that in you. Because I, I, you're not a victim. You're not a victim. You only are in your mind. It's not your circumstances that contain your peace. I am your peace in the midst of your circumstances. Your circumstances are not the problem. It's how you see your circumstances. That's the problem. And I'm trying to change your seeing. God owns Lens Crafter. I think I'm going to do a sermon next Sunday called Lens Crafter. God is the one that gives you the new lens. And get, we need new lenses. We need to stop seeing God as John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or whatever your favorite religious figure is. And we need to see him as God, the Christ, the Messiah. Not the dead God, but the living God, like Peter said he was. He's a living God. And he's alive in you. And you need to see him that way. I feel like God just said another question to ask him. Can you see yourself as strong in Jesus? Do you see yourself as strong or weak? Because, see, when you're weak in the natural, earthly realm paradigm, you're strong because your strength is the Lord. And his joy, which never diminishes, is your strength. It's not how you manifest or portray that joy. The joy of the Lord, that is your strength. And the only way you could not have strength is for his joy to ever decrease or diminish. And his joy does not change. So your strength, neither does it change. You just need to draw from the living water. You need to drink from that well. You need to see yourself as strong. Hold your head up. Go out and face all those things that are causing anxiety, fear. But you're not facing them in your strength. You're facing them with his strength. 
Ask him, what means this? What does this mean? What do you want me to do? He'll always answer you. He'll always answer you. I didn't say you'll say the question and immediately you'll get an answer. You probably will. You might not. But it will come. It may come through a person. I remember one time when I was eight, nine years ago, struggling over leaving where I was pastoring, coming here to Valdosta. Oh, I was struggling. There's a guy in Valdosta that's been cutting my hair for 10, 15 years, 20 years, I guess. I don't know, a long time. I like him because I don't have to have an appointment. I just walk in when I want to come in and don't even have to call. That's my deal. I like that, you know. And we've never, he knows what I do. He knows I'm a pastor. But we've never, we just, you know, you kind of stay away from the, those discussions. You know, he's never brought it up. I don't go in there, you know, hollering, you know, Jesus. So he just kind of keeps it on the natural. He stays away from politics and religion, and he just cuts people's hair. But I went in there one day, and it was right in the middle of all this struggle. And, 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 uh, and I was wrestling, and he said, he said, I don't know if there's a book that I want to give to you. He said, you just came to my mind. He said, I had it years ago. He said, uh, got it somewhere. I think he said, I went to some hairdress convention somewhere. But he said, I thought you might. And I hadn't even discussed nothing. I was wrestling about nothing. And the name of the book was uh, Somebody Move My Cheese or Who Moved My Cheese or something like that. Anybody beside me ever heard it? They give it out to a lot of business people. I think it's like, how, what is it? Who Moved My Cheese or something? Is it Who Moved My Cheese? And, uh, huh? Yeah. And so I, I took the book home that day. And I'm like, Who Moved My Cheese? That's a crazy title book. So I went home and started reading it. And everything about it was God saying that I moved the cheese. And so you got to get where the cheese is if you want to receive what I've got for you. And what I got out of that book, God said, I moved your cheese, buddy, to Valdosta. So follow the cheese. <laughs> you know? And it so helped me. I'm not saying I based it all on that one thing, but it so helped me. Listen, I don't know if, if uh, Andrew is even in here today, one of our precious men. But um, so I met this week with a, with a precious Hispanic pastor and his wife uh, both of them are pastors from Douglas huge Hispanic church work there been there for over 20 years great church, powerful church and so this pastor's wife and, and, and the, the, both pastors, husband and wife wanted to meet with me and I met with them just Friday and um, um, they said with we, we were wanting to build a home. And this, this pastor's wife said, I've been struggling over this grace message. She said, my husband has gotten a hold of this grace message, and he's been preaching this grace now for a year or so, and I don't really agree with him on all that. And I've been struggling because I was raised, you know, that you can lose your salvation and you can all these things I've wrestled with. And he's up there preaching grace because he's been listening to a guy like Joseph Prince and, and stuff like that. And, and, and we came across you. And she said, and how we did is I was put, we're going to build a home. And she said they had a sign on a light post that said, you know, something about houses. They build houses, you know, something, Home America, whatever. And I called the number and I went and met with the man and said, and they're talking with him in Douglas. He said, I go to Grace Point in Valdosta. Dale Young's my pastor. And uh, I happen to have his book in my desk uh, drawer here that I've, I've read. And, and I just feel like I'm supposed to give it to you. And he gave my book to that pastor's wife. And oh, she brought it in her hands. 
and it was full of highlighters and markings and stuff. And, and, she, and she called that man back after she had read it, and she said, I, I read it from cover to cover. She said, I know how many children you have. I know all these things. I've read from, from every word that was inside the covers. I read it through and through, over and over. And she said, it answers so many questions. And with tears in her eyes, she said, just help me. And she said, I don't understand it all. And, but she said, I, I, I wanted to meet with you. And, I, and she had questions. And, and we, we, we talked. And, and uh, it, it was just a wonderful thing. You don't ever know what you're doing to changing. They're changing a whole church. And her husband, he doesn't speak English well, but I could tell he understands all English. And so she would say things. And he would just sit there and smile. Goes out. He's a grace brother. He's converted. He's, his eyes are open. And, and, and she's so far along. And, and what they wanted to meet with me about is they want to work with me to get the book translated into Spanish. And uh, t- so it can go to so many people. So uh, you pray with me for that. We're working on that. I'm, I'm, I'm doing some checking and seeing what's involved and what do we uh, need to do. But she said, I want every uh, Hispanic uh, member in our congregation to be able to read this in, in their language. And, uh, she, and she said, I just, I, she said, this has got to go uh, to the Hispanic people uh, because so many are raised in Catholicism and legalism. And, and it's not knocking the Catholic people, but it's just, that she said, there's so many rules, so much confusion. And, and she said, that's what's my problem. I've been raised in that. And she said, this book has changed my life forever. And she said, I'm so thankful for that. And, oh, she was hitting me with questions. Like, what does it mean to work out your own salvation with fear and treatment and stuff like that? Okay, we'll get to all that. Okay. It don't mean you can lose it, and it don't mean you're doing it. And I told her, I said, just last Sunday, I asked the congregation seven or eight questions to see if they really are grasping grace. I said, go to the podcast. Listen to at least last Sunday. It'll open up and answer a lot of what you're talking about today. God's doing stuff, y'all. And he's using this ministry. And I thank God for your heart, your support, your finances, all you do here so that we can keep feeding the people that are hungry through the food ministry, that we can do all the things that God's called us to do that we don't ever even hardly talk about because we just don't have the time. But I want you to walk in that relationship with God. I want you to ask questions. You have, here it comes. God says to tell them they have prophetic permission to ask me questions for I will answer them. You got prophetic permission. Oh, you're not in a box. You're not boxed in. No ceilings over you. No more. Father, thank you that the ceilings that are false, no more. Unlimited. I declare unlimited. You have unlimited favor. Unlimited favor with the Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father good day. Isn't it a wonderful day? Give Jesus a praise, would you? (laughs) Hallelujah. All right. You're dismissed. If you want prayer, please come this way. We love you guys. God bless you.